This is the Acts 2028 podcast, where two young Church of God pastors discuss the challenges and victories we face in leading revitalization. I am TJ Samuel. I am Brian Seidel. I am in an urban context in Seattle, Washington. I am in a suburban and rural context in Boise, Idaho. I am in a liberal state. I am in a conservative state. My ministry background is in missions. My ministry background is in youth ministry. And yet we are both in our first lead roles. To help God revitalize the existing church in the Pacific Northwest. We are helping each other. And you. To truly live out Acts 20, 28. Well, here we are again with our next episode of the Acts 2028 podcast, and this is a, a, a brand new start for us as this podcast is still a brand new start for us. And um, But yet, uh, we're going to do something brand new today where we bring in our first guest. And so, TJ, welcome back, and uh, welcome to our, our honored and esteemed first guest, uh, Jim Lyon. So, welcome. Hey, Brad. TJ, thanks for inviting me in. I'm honored to be with you. You are two of the brightest guys I know, and I know a lot of people. So I'm, I'm like, wow, I can't believe you're given that you would even give me the time of day. So thanks so much. Yeah, yeah no, again, we are, uh, we're excited to have you with us. And, and, and again, as, as, as you would have heard from the intro, we are both Church of God pastors. And so that's one of the reasons we are talking with Jim today. He is our, our general director for the Church of God Ministries. Um, but also in that, you also have some connections to both of our churches. And again, we are both in existing churches that were in, in a revitalization projects. And so, um, so I guess we'll just start there. What, um, you know, why do you care about our churches? I, I know that you care about every church in the movement and I don't mean to, that, but, but you do have connections with both with Oregon Trail and with Fairview. So uh, um, let's just start there. Well, uh, for those who... Uh, do not know me. I'm a Seattle guy. I grew up in Seattle. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and I have a deep passion for the culture, the people, the place. And uh, that reaches from uh, Seattle uh, throughout Washington State and Oregon and Idaho. That corner of the United States is very precious to me. And because I spent most of my life there, uh, I have many friends and relationships, and those, of course, uh, in Seattle, my hometown, uh, but also in Idaho. Uh, uh, in the church where you pastor now, Brad, I've, I've had connections with people uh, in that local church and that community over many years. And so I have a personal stake and passion for that part of the world. And as you observed, yes, every part of the world is precious and uh, is loved by God. And I am a fan, but we all have a home, don't we? And for me, home will always be in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Now, again, I had you, you actually came out to Oregon Trail and shared with us a couple of years ago. And I know at, at that, uh, at that time, again, we, I had been at the church just a couple of years. Um, and it, we were uh, again, not as far along as we are today, uh, in our revitalization efforts. And, um, again, and that, and I know you've been to Fairview several times with TJ, uh, at different times as well. And, and a very different history there. Um, Again, you came out to share with with uh, with Oregon Trail one because it was one of the first places you ever spoke. You you said you know came and spoke to you many years ago, I guess, as one of your first outside speaking type of engagements. And so, yeah, I mean, I just have to pause to say, Oregon Trail, Caldwell, Idaho, has a significant 
part of my own developmental history because as a young preacher over a quarter century ago, uh, I was invited to speak to a state conference of the Church of God and it was held there. And I had no experience in doing such things. And so it was a big adventure for me. I thought, wow, somebody besides my mother wants to hear me talk. And, you know, I'll just <laughs> never forget it. It was a warm welcome then, even as it was decades later when you had me back, Brad. Thanks so much. Yeah. So, so TJ, um, why, why don't you give us a little bit of connection with Fairview and Jim? Yeah. So, I mean, I think as an introductory, uh, man, it is a great opportunity. So you go back history wise. And I, I think people that maybe don't get a chance to know you real well is the historian element. I think that's so um, underrated to who you are and you have this ability to hear things and retain them and weave them together in a story fashion that is both honoring and exciting. Uh, you know, I think of times with uh, the convention when someone like myself that, you know, could go for a large amount of time, but you can come up and wrap that together in a brief statement of exactly piercing to what God was speaking through them in a palatable way to just wrap it all up. And so, um, gosh, you know, more history. I, I got to be transparent here. Jim is the guy who knows more history about my own church than I do. <laughs> and, well, and we've talked about this being here for, uh, you know, or new to this post uh, about a year. But Jim, uh, you know, your ability to speak to that and, and be here, you date back to when we had a different church in a different location by the name of Woodland Park. And so um, maybe share a little bit about that. And not only growing up in the church that I'm currently serving in, but that your passion and, and you talked about a launching pad for you and your ministry that took place in Idaho, where you got a chance to address an assembly. But I think your ability to uh, to love on people here, and, and maybe this is a point where I'd say, man, people really appreciate that. I know that they say sometimes a prophet isn't valued in their own home, but Seattle loves Jim. So Jim, maybe speak to a little bit about uh, that piece of, you know, there's a historic element. And one of the things Brian and I touch on is revitalization. And you are so honoring, again, going back to that history piece of the people that came before you. I mean, and, and the names are, are well-documented, the Wilbur Skaggs, the L.T. Flints, the uh, Bob Christensen's, and, and so on and so forth. But the fact that Fairview has a rich history of building on those names and those identities, and that the common thread, and I hope that I'll be said in the same word, is that those people were honoring to the ministry and reaching the people that they were serving. So maybe speak a little bit about that, because I think you can do a lot better. So I'm going to be quiet now. Oh, no, no. TJ, that's very generous. As you were talking, it just occurred to me, everybody has a story, don't they? And sometimes people kind of zone out when the word history is used because we have a recollection of a boring history class in high school or seventh grade or, you know, they go, oh, but what? that's a waste of time. But actually history is just our story, isn't it? And so I love history because I love story and every person and every place has a story that is also history. For me, my own personal history is intertwined with the story of what is called now the Fairview Church because my family is there. And maybe my love of story is consequent to my own personal journey in that I was adopted. And I think as an adopted person, I've always known that. I've been fascinated by the unique 
contours of my own story. I, I, I didn't just land in my parents' arms in a conventional way. I didn't just grow up by chance uh, in a particular home or place. I, I have a profound sense of, of providential placement. And so the particulars of that story, which were very deeply woven into the life of the local church where I was brought as an adopted child early on, before I have conscious memory, uh, were very important to me because it's, it helps frame my story because I didn't have any story before that. That said, I, I grew up in the church and I loved it and it was a place that loved me. And when I was growing up, uh, I was very conscious that I had a family. Again, I never took that for granted because I knew it could have been otherwise. Uh, there is on the corner of uh, Northeast 65th Street, TJ and 35th Avenue Northeast, uh, not so far from Fairview, there is an orphanage. It's called the Children's Home Society of Washington. That's where I was. And I was brought into a family that was in this church and the church became my larger family and loved me. And I drove by that often growing up and I always contrasted the, the church building, which was a brick building, even at Woodland Park as it is now Fairview and the brick building, it was a red brick Georgia building at the Children's Home Society. I contrasted those two in my head. One was the place I was abandoned. The other was the place I was loved. And that story, just will always be with me. I met Jesus. I was told about Jesus at the church. It changed my life. And as I was growing up, especially my teen years, I was kind of the ugly duckling, the awkward guy, you know, the, the creepo. <laughs> no, I, just, I was not anybody's favorite at school. Uh, I loved elementary school. Junior high was okay. High school was a hard slog for a while. And what I'm saying is that, you know, when you're a kid growing up, school is kind of like the definition of everything. But it was church where I knew I was loved. And so I, I went to school, but I loved church. I, I made my way through school and I got good grades, but I was not the athletic uh, social charmer that I am now. So <laughs> how's that for pretension? But, but the church was that constant loving place for me. So Jesus, the love of God, the sense of calling and purpose and value all of that was inculcated in me consequent to that church family that is now your church family, TJ. And that's why its story matters to me. And the people who went before me, there was a man named Luke Bennett, who was the pastor when I was adopted and brought to the church. I was dedicated under his gaze. Luke Bennett uh, later left that congregation when I was about, I don't know, three years old or so, and moved to take a prominent Church of God post in Kansas City. Uh, but I have living memory of all the pastors from Luke Bennett to I.K. Dawson to Wilbur Skaggs to L.T. Flint to Norman Patton to Bob Christensen, and then I became the pastor. Well, all of that's part of the story. They're all good men who gave their life so that people like me could know what it was like to be loved and called. Wherever I go in the world, I... I say my prayers and I pray for Fairview first because when I left there, it's been 30 years ago, actually uh, this year. When I left there as pastor, I promised the church I would always pray for Fairview first because I think prayer matters. And it's also an index of how powerfully I believe that I owe my life to Fairview. So for all of its ups and downs, you know, in every church, every one has times and seasons. We have mountaintops, we have valleys, and the Fairview Church has certainly had some of those. Uh, but 
without regard to where it is on that journey, for me, I owe my life to Fairview. So that's my story about Fairview. Well, that's great. I mean, I think those are some of the things that we've kind of stumbled uh, across. And we talk about, you know, trying to help. I mean, we're not the only pastors. And I think when you came on as general director, and, and I'll butcher it to some extent, but you kind of said, we are going to either cease to exist or we're going to be a catalyst for change. We are no longer going to just sit here and accept status quo as a narrative that will get us as being God people or connecting his people with him kind of deal. Um, those are my words, but I, that's how it came across to me. And, and so there was this ultimate change. And, and that's part of what we've really been trying to speak to here, I think, is really trying to, A, shepherd those well. But as we get to churches and, you know, we look at those things and, and there's a lot of initiatives, whether that's a care initiative or those things, but to really equip and build up the next generation and to honor those, you just were able to rattle off, uh, you know, a timeline of those that were impacted your life. So I think that's kind of another piece that Brian, and I haven't got a chance to address, but how do we honor those that have come before us? We've talked about it in those that we serve in the parishioners, but even those that have had that mantle that was passed to us. Uh, and so what would be some of the things maybe that you would speak to as far as uh, you see two young guys, uh, young being relative at this point, but yes, that we are both in that pocket of, you know, taking on our first lead role. And so how would you give encouragement to maybe those that are stumbling across this? Or as you look at that word revitalization and we try to look at that, and I know with a director hat, you have that in a lot of contexts. Uh, it could be some of those churches, like you said, they've had their ups and downs and people come in, but what is revitalization or what would be an encouragement to some of the young pastors that are stepping into this role for the first time? Great. Um, Great setup of a question there, TJ. I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, transcendent. And that is a pastor is a shepherd. And we must never forget that. And today we have people with varying views of what it means to be a pastor or ambitions as a pastor. But fundamentally, the very word itself is shepherd. In fact, the English word pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. So if you read the 23rd Psalm in the Latin, it would say, the Lord is my pastor. And this idea of shepherding, Jesus is the good shepherd. I mean, it's so integral to the gospel. A pastor is a shepherd of God's people in a place. And so what that means is you have to love your sheep and care for them. And you have to lead them. You have to walk ahead of them. You have to protect them. And you have to show them what's next. I mean, th those are all the functions of the pastor. It starts with loving the sheep, caring for them. And, you know, the first, the first rule of pastoring that leads to revitalization is to persuade the people you have already that you love them. Not always easy to do because some people are not lovable and some don't want to receive your love and they don't care for that and they've got their own agendas. But in the end, if you yourself are focused on loving them and they eventually learn that you love them, you can lead them, but you cannot lead them until they are persuaded you actually love them. I found that it's very difficult for me in my present job to demonstrate that effectively. In other words, I don't have the privilege of having the same group of people in relationship to me week by week that you do when you're a pastor. Mm -hmm. 
Man, was I pastor. I love that part of it. And yes, there's some people that you just want to push off a cliff. <laughs> That's the people business. Uh, but in the end, I loved my people in both churches. I've just pastored in two churches. And both of them went through very dramatic changes during my tenure. But it was all, I think, grounded in the sense that the people I led, the people I pastored, were people who believed that I loved them. The second thing about that that's so important, and this, you know, this is not the hands-on, you know, concrete seminar on, uh, you know, do step one to two. I realize that, but th these are the concepts that undergird everything else. Love your people and prove your love. And the second is they have to believe you not only love them, but that you love Jesus. I was very, very moved. Uh, and TJ, you were in the room. Maybe you were, maybe you zoned out when it was not that you would zone out, but because someone mentioned me and you just did an eye roll, but I'd say last week you and I were in a conference and in that room, I was asked to, I don't know, make a comment about something or another. Why, why does Jim tell stories well or something? And there was another pastor in the room from Oregon who said, here's what I think. I hear Jim talk and I listened to him and I'm moved by him because I know he walks with Jesus. You see, the idea that he trusted what I said because he had already concluded that I had a living relationship with Jesus. He believes I love Jesus. And I, I want that. But that, that is honestly the highest praise for someone to say, whatever else you know about this guy, he's a Jesus guy. He loves Jesus. He walks with Jesus. He's trying to follow Jesus. So as a pastor, you have to prove your love to your people. And that is very closely linked to the way in which they see you loving Jesus. Do you have a living, dynamic journey with Jesus? Because once those two things are in place, then the stage is set for what we might call the more functional changes a church must experience from time to time to be revitalized or to be refreshed or to be, uh, if, we, if we use a, an analog from the Acts of the Apostles, for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Uh, because again, every story has its ups and downs, and every now and then we need a fresh filling, a fresh reimagining, a fresh vision or role. Uh, as uh, as I pause here for a moment, I'll say nothing ever stays the same, except love, faith, and hope. I mean, those are the three transcendent figures. I so in life. We want to imagine that things will stay the same. I, I want to imagine that my four sons will stay the same. I really want them to stay the same in the ages of like five to 14, where I had one son at 14 who was still, still all in with my ability to command him to get ready to come or do, you know, without a fight. And a five-year-old who will sit on my lap and let me rock him to sleep. I mean, you know, I wish it would say the same, but you know what? Nothing stays the same. Those are all great years. But I'll tell you what, my youngest son today is 31 and my oldest one will be 40 in a few weeks. These are good times, but it's not the same. What we tend to do in church life is we want things to stay the same and it can't stay the same. And anything that does not grow will die. So, that brings us back to revitalization or refreshment or renewal, reimagining or refilling of the spirit. That is the necessary code of life, a constant pushing the envelope 
for the next chapter, the next adventure. But none of that can happen if the pastor has not proved his love first to his people and his people are absolutely smacked down persuaded he loves Jesus. Well, that's great because I think, uh, thank you for answering that. There's the part of that that are so obtainable during this time. You, you talked about your family, your personal family, as well as your church family. And if we can't love them and love Jesus, it doesn't matter if we have a pandemic or not. Those things are both very obtainable in this current culture that we're rolling through as this is real life, real um, time that we're living these times out. And so I think, thank you for sharing that because I think there's some of us especially when we take this role for the first time is where do you start even in the midst of not being in a pandemic, but like, where do you start? And when they know that you care about them and what they care about and that you love Jesus and that is your source of supply, um, man, I think you're on solid foundation. So no, thank you for reiterating that. Yeah. I know that you both know this works, but back to story, you know, if your your question was framed originally, TJ, as uh, as a young pastor getting started, you know, and and Brad, you've been, you've been uh, Brian, you've been in your church a few years, and TJ, you've been there a year now. Uh, but but as you are as you are still relatively young in the game, so to speak, one of your first and best moves is to learn the stories of the people God has given you already. Everyone is honored when you're interested in their story. You know, Brian, I know something about your family's journey, uh, about your youngest child. I was there yes. uh, as she came into your home and so on and so forth. I mean, the, whoa, I'm going to guess that you would be all in for somebody asking you questions about your kids and how they came into your love, into your life and your loving family and so on. And, and TJ, I mean, you all have stories. As a pastor, we often land and we have dreams, ambitions. I know some young guys who, I mean, they've got it all down. We're going to change this. We're going to do that. But they haven't done the listening yet of the stories of the people they have to have to make the changes they dream of. So what is their story? Uh, you, you referred to TJ, my history of the fairy church. Well, yes, I lived a lot of it. But yeah, I do know the history. And, and when I came to Anderson, I learned the history of the church I came to, even though it was hard for me at times because I did not I did not know a single person. I had no prior relationship with anyone there. But man, I learned their stories and I can tell their stories. And that's another way of demonstrating love. Oh, this guy actually cares about us. And it's so simple as just tell me your story. And you know, once you get into it, once you see both of you are interviewing on a podcast, which actually is a skill set. Once you get into somebody's story, it's going to naturally lead to the next question. Uh, oh, you came from Missouri? Why did you come from Missouri? Well, oh, you saw a postcard of the green cornfields of Indiana. Honestly, I had a guy tell me this. He said, I lived in Missouri and I saw those green cornfields and I thought, man, that is heaven because he was a farmer. And he's, boy, that soil must be really, well, whoa, you were a farmer? I mean, you just get down deeper and deeper and deeper. And by the, by one visit, you have made a friend. Yeah. No, Jim, I think that's, again, very valuable. And I think thinking about, again, where do you start? Because I remember even just when I started at Oregon Trail, it seemed so overwhelming, right? Of, and so much needs to change. And we need so much of, you know, this and that. And, and again, just where do I start? And, and 
you know, like you say, when you get on the ground in a new place, a new role, and especially in an established church, and that's one of the things that we, you know, again, are trying to focus on here in with this podcast, because we're both in established churches. Um, and those churches have stories. And, and like you said, they have histories and they have things that are worthy of honoring, even if they are in a valley currently. And, and again, that's, that's why both of us came, ended up at the churches we're in, right? Because they were in valleys and they needed, you know, a fresh wind of, of something new. Um, again, as you mentioned, when, when you did come to Oregon Trail last time and to visit, you were here, uh, like I said, you were here literally the week that my daughter was born. And, and again, we connected on that because we, had, we were adopting her. And, and so, uh, again, through just adoption and through our story and that, but the other, you know, logistical blessing of that visit was that I didn't have to prepare a sermon on the week that my daughter was born. Yep. And so, so that, you know, that was, uh, that was great. Now, again, the, the hard thing was, and again, I felt like I kind of neglected you while you were here because I had a three-year-old baby, right. And, you know, that we were dealing with and, and all of the adoption things and, and just going through that. And so, but again, I, I really value the fact that while you were here, you did not, you know, demand my time and you, you knew the importance of that. And, and again, that was, a, that was a great time. Um, you know, and again, we did, we did share a few good moments, but, but again, I, I literally did. I passed you off to people in my church, you know, while you were here, uh, you know, Brian, as I focused on, you, on that, but you were a terrific host. I felt completely loved by you. Seriously. I mean, you had me in your home. I got to see your family in your home. Oh, and yes, you took me to the ice cream place where the legendary scoops are, which are yes. as big as a person's <laughs> head. And I loved it. You, you had my number. So you, you got me where I needed to be. It was all good. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. But now, but again, like you said, it, the conversation leads to the next question. And I think as we say that, uh, you know, as we looked at some of the history of, of Oregon Trail, history of Fairview and kind of those stories, and, and that's one of the, the unique things about the established church, right, is that it does have a history and it does have a story. And again, within the current context of the larger church world, for pastors our age, the most popular thing to do is to plant a church, right? To uh, at least, at least that's what I've observed. And so now again, TJ and I are both stepping into established churches. And that was something that we both felt God was calling us to do. So for just from your perspective as general director, why is the established church an important part of, of God's plan, you know, of redemption and, and of spreading his, his work through the church now, again, not, not to discount church planting, and I'm not saying that that's not something that God uses or, or is moving people to do, but, but there seems to be a, that's a popular, the, the thing that it, a lot is focused on. So why, why is the established church also important? Well, let's just acknowledge every church was a church plant once. And so that, that's an important part of the kingdom life. But I think part of our challenge is that there are, especially young, younger folks may feel intimidated by the challenge of an established church and bringing it to a new chapter, as I would call it, a, a new stage of development, because sometimes it requires uh, a lot of deference and time that we imagine if we're planning a church, we can just skip those steps. In other words, if I'm starting a church from scratch, I get to assemble a group of people around me who already share my view and vision and ways of doing things because they wouldn't be starting this if they didn't already agree. So you, you, you kind of skip the steps of persuasion or uh, 
you know, cajoling or, or whatever it takes to help people move to a new era of ministry. And I understand the appeal of that, although I think starting a church for that advantage, you know, for what seems to be an advantage, I don't have to labor through uh, those older folks who have their traditions that I think are outdated and so on. I don't have to deal with that. Uh, they don't have to suffer loss by my hand because I'm going to tell them they can't sing their hymns anymore, or whatever the issues are. Uh, while that may seem to have some advantages, it also has some towering mountains to climb that are very difficult. For me, and I've only pastored two churches, both of them were established in 1906. So both of them had very long histories. And, and yet I found that the Lord blessed the work and moved them forward to new places. Why does that matter? Well, even if you're planting a church, guess what? In five years, you're going to lose some people and they're going to be unhappy because you, you did something different. In other words, the people business is always going to be the same. And if you're going to be required to navigate a crowd, why not navigate one that already has some assets and history and, and people? I mean, in a way, it seems to me that you can, you can get a long ways down the road because you're starting already with, with so many things in place. Now, I realize that there are some churches that are quite difficult. The, the culture of the church, the relationships of the church, the history of the church have, have conspired to have dysfunction. But it goes right back to loving. If you're game to actually love, you have to, you have to be humble in a sense. You can't walk in and say, well, I already have this all sorted out. That's what happens sometimes, I think, in church planning. Again, I no fault for church planners. You have to have a vision. You have to know what you want to do and see what you'd like to have happen and all that. But sometimes that approach to an established church is a train wreck because you haven't learned the story. You don't, you don't understand uh, the, the warp and woof of the people that God, remember this, I say this often, that God entrusted to you. These are not burdens for you to bear. These are not albatrosses uh, for you to shake. These are the people God gave you if he's called you to that established church. Every established church has lessons that have been learned already that you can stand on. Every established church has been somewhere already that could be a springboard for someplace new. Every established church has a root of the Holy Spirit that brought it to being in the first place that should be the spark of a fire that can burn brightly. Every person, no matter what their age or history, is precious in the sight of God. Are you called? This is the question people have to answer. Are you called to be a shepherd? And if you are, then you'll have to have a flock. And the best way to have a flock is to go to a church where there already is a flock looking for a shepherd, as opposed to, I'm going to stand up my own field and try and get some sheep to come over to it. Now, <laughs> that's, you know, again, church planting is necessary because every church was a church plant once and it has enormous power and potential. And obviously there are many places in the world where a church has to be planted because there is none. But most of us live in communities where there are a lot of churches. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of spark of the Holy Spirit that once was flaming and burning bright. How can we rekindle that? That's the question. And for me, and, you know, truth be told, if if I could work my will, if I could uh, just redesign my life today, I would be a pastor of a local church that already has history. Man, I want to do that. I want to I want to take them to a new place. I think it's preposterous at my age, but that's what I want to do. And I, I just want to encourage anyone listening today, if you're in an established church, I'm telling you, 
God can do great things right there where you are and harness what you have in extraordinary ways. But you got to go back. You got to make sure those people know you love them and that you love Jesus. If I can just, I'll dive in with an anecdote, uh, Brian. When I came to Anderson, I came to a congregation that I did not know, but I mean, I, I went through a long drama of, of surrendering to God's call there because I didn't really want to leave Seattle, which I loved. And, but I landed there and, uh, you know, I, I was loving on the people and making my, you know, being acquainted and so on and so forth. And they were very kind to me in the main. But, you know, there's always somebody who's unhappy about something. There was this one gal. She just called me up. I mean, every time I talked to her, she was upset about something. The nursery is too crowded. The heat in the sanctuary is too hot. The sound is too loud. Uh, people aren't parking in their parking spaces. They take two spaces instead of one in the parking lot. The ushers, you know, aren't on the dime when they need to be. I mean, she, she's always had something. You know, some people are just wired that. And I just rode the wave for a while. Then one day, after I'd been there about a year and a half, she called me up and I just dreaded, I just dreaded hearing her that she's on the phone. Let me, what can I, I'll give her a, a nom de plume. And let's call her Susie. Susie calls me up and I thought, oh no, not Susie again. What's this about? She calls me up. She said, I'm just telling you, uh, I've been talking to some people in this church. And this Susie was, was, had been in the church for many years. Her family had gone back to the beginning and so on. So she, she'd been around a long time. She says, I've been talking to many people in the church here. We've called this church home for a long time. And the truth is you have, you have made so many changes. Now her view was I've made a lot of changes. I thought it was more incremental, but I know some things change, but you have changed so many things and we're just tired. Of, we're through, we're done. Uh, we just are exhausted by all this change you're bringing. And you know what? This is, she just really hit me below the belt. She said, why don't you just get on a plane and go back to California or wherever it is you came from? See, in her mind, living in Indiana her whole life, all she could imagine was out West, must have been California. I mean, yeah. if you grew up in Seattle, you did not come from California. <laughs> I say, this is what she said <laughs> to me. And I was just so taken aback. I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this? Because this is the challenge of an established church, isn't it? That I'm yeah. going to have to deal with this woman and people like her who just seem to be framed critically or holding on, grasping on with their knuckles bare onto some things that are just like not worth worrying about. Uh, one of the issues had been that I removed the pulpit. It had a big fortress pulpit in the front of the sanctuary. And when I started preaching there, I, I mean, I kind of move around. I don't use notes. I don't need that platform. I, I don't mean that dismissively of people with a fortress pulpit. I just didn't need it. So one Sunday I took it away. Well, oh, you're changing everything. It was that kind of stuff. And I thought, what am I doing here? And in my heart, as she's talking, I honestly want to say to her, lady, I didn't want to come here in the first place. And if, if you could find 10 other people, I'm thinking of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Lot, if you can, or Abram, can you, if you can find 10 people, I won't destroy the city. <laughs> if you can find 10 people that'll stand forward with you and tell me that you're tired of my leadership here, I'll be on a plane so fast you won't even see my shadow because I didn't want to be here in the first place. But that's not what I said. What I said was, and I think it's the Holy Spirit, uh, proof if people think there is a Holy Spirit and he can't possess you. I'm telling you, in this moment, I had to be possessed by the Holy Spirit to be cool about this. I said to her, you know, sister, I hear what you're saying. And I just have to reflect that ever since I met you, every time I have a meeting with you, or I hear from you, you're upset about something. You're always upset about something. You have never once ever said that you loved me or that you cared for me 
or from my family that moved 2,500 miles to be here, to know no one. You've never suggested that you had any inkling at all of what it was like for me. And I'm so sorry you're disturbed by the changes, but honestly, if you want to persuade someone with your ideas, you need to first prove your love for them. She was very quiet. She said, oh, pastor, you know that I love you. And I said, well, I, I'm so thankful for you to say that, but it honestly hasn't been that clear. She said, oh, I do. I said, well, thank you so much. Now, to your point, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to be perfectly, you know, think about that. So uh, end of call. <laughs> now, that would have been in the year 1992. That woman just died a, a couple of years ago. So <laughs> 25 years passed on. Every time I saw her, she stayed in the church and I stayed as her pastor. And I would see her in the supermarket. I saw her at the hospital. I saw her every, every time I saw her. You know what she said first up? She said, Pastor, you know I love you. But, you know, if you wouldn't preach so long, we'd have more people come. <laughs> so it was always a setup. But what I'm illustrating is she and I came to terms because we talked about our love for each other. And I believe she truly did love me. And, you know, she just had a way of expressing herself that maybe was not so, uh, uh, not a highly developed EQ, but her heart was right. And I loved, she knew I loved her. I stood by her through all of that. I'm just illustrating again the power. In a savage church, there's a lot of headbanging. There's a lot of harm ringing and difficulty. But if you can be secure yourself, if you can be secure in your love for Jesus and his love for you, you can love them too. And in the end, they'll move with you. That woman went with me every place I went in terms of the church's development and change over those years. She never left. Oh, man, that's a that's a great story, because I think we've all been there. And I, I think we've had a Susie in our congregation um, or know, two or ten, yeah, you know, and, and that's not even in, a, in the role that we serve. We've just yeah. known people that have that. And, um, you know, Jim, I want to say thank you again for your time and, and joining us. And you've been so gracious to pour into us. And I think, again, as we talk about history, or as I've been walking through with our church, the story, which is the Bible, when I say history, now I always like think of the from above, that it is his story that we are living out. We are just new characters in this tapestry that we are rolling out of God's bigger narrative that, um, you know, we are the, the new ones that take center stage. And yet there are going to be people that come after us. Um, hopefully, you know, as we are, Brian and I, you, we've alluded to our kids and, and the next generation that we're pouring into. But I wanted to take a second and not only say thank you, but, uh, you know, what would be your heart's desire as you continue to lead into this new season? And then second to that, as you've given so much to us, how could we help you or is this platform, we don't have a ton of listeners, but you know, like how can, as they engage with you, how can they be praying for you? How can we return the favor of petitioning God for you and your ministry? So what would be your heart's desire and how can we be praying for you? Well, we've talked a lot about how a pastor might relate to his local church, especially in an established church scenario. And, you know, um, I, I just want to reflect that when you're loving people, uh, it's, it's one thing to say, but how do you do it practically? And I'm a fan of that, you know, sitting down with people, hearing their story, never underestimate the power of the gift of hospitality. Even if your home is modest, people are honored 
to be in your company. Uh, you're the pastor. And uh, I, I just, there's just some simple things that from the first century of the Christian era to the present will always work in helping people know that you care for them and love them. With that in mind, I haven't talked about the church's relationship externally. How does the church grow or expand? But if you can get that love thing down going inside the building and, or inside the community, even if you're not in the building, uh, understanding your community and loving it, developing a passion for it. So what's my hope? My hope is that the church of God in every place it's planted, that every one of our congregations would become the indispensable center of life and hope in its community. Come on. And that is what the world needs. That's what Jesus was. When Jesus walked into town in the New Testament, he was the center of life and hope. The crowds flocked, the towns stopped, people gawked. They may not be his fans, but everybody knew when Jesus was present, there was something that was life-giving in play. Our churches can be that. We tend to be self-preoccupied, but a loving church, a church that loves each other and the pastor is loving and so on and so forth, that learns then to love its community and figure out what is this community hurting? Where is its hurting places? Where are its hopeless places? Where's the Zacchaeus in my town? Where's the blind Bartimaeus in my town? Where's uh, the woman caught in adultery in my town? I mean, all the places that Jesus did, we talk about following Jesus, but our churches don't always follow him in any way that he would recognize. We need to follow him into the streets and into the community and to the public intersections and identify how can we help? How can we be that, the answer for life and for hope? And this pandemic has been an extraordinary example of that really because the world was stopped. People who do not care about God, they have not thought about God. They were stopped in their tracks, forced to acknowledge, I am not the master of my universe. There are forces at work in my world that I cannot control. How will I survive? What's it? Wow, talk about, let's bring them some life and hope. Uh, there are events that happen, a 9-11, when you guys were just toddlers probably. But I mean, you know, uh, I remember my, my church was jam-packed, hanging from the rafters. The fire department wanted to shut the building down because after 9-11, everyone was stopped in their tracks because they didn't know what to do. They're disoriented. The predictability of life was upended. The church is the only thing that has the capacity to anchor people through that personal journey with cancer, through that divorce, through that terror attack, through the pandemic, whatever it is that robs life, it is the church alone that has the keys to giving life. So my dream is that every congregation becomes the indispensable center of life and hope in Jesus' name, in the community where it is. And, and that's going to require us interacting, surveying, reaching out, taking some chances, assuming some risks to get acquainted with the people around us in a world that we don't normally interact with. Many of our churches flourish on, on transitional relationships where people from another church are unhappy and they come to our way. And it's been a great boon to us. And as a pastor, I had plenty of that going on. Uh, but the key will, even, even when that comes, the key will be how we're meeting the need of life and hope in the community. And that will may draw some people from other churches because they want to be a part of one that's doing that. And 
And so at, at every dimension of church life, when you're focused on the community where God has placed you, and I'm one who believes in providential placement. Remember my story. I'm adopted. I was conceived out of wedlock by what some people would say by chance, relinquished into an orphanage and from the orphanage into foster care and then taken back to the orphanage until at last Mildred walked in and picked me up. Now, I interpret that not as random chance. I was placed by the appointment of God in the arms of that woman that I learned to call my mom who took me to the Woodland Park Church of God. I was placed in the Woodland Park Church of God. I was placed in a role to become his pastor. I was destined to move to Anderson. I am in my chair by the appointment of God. That doesn't mean to be pretentious. I'm just saying a church does not exist in a place just because it's random. God put you, Brian, at Oregon Trail on the highway where you are. And he put UTJ at Fairview and Salem. That's not to say your church can't relocate. Both the churches I pastored relocated from one neighborhood to the next, changed their name, got a new address. But all of it was in a sense of providential movement. So if you are providentially placed as a person and as a congregation, you've got to love the place where God puts you. Great passage in Jeremiah where the Hebrews are moaning and groaning about um, you know, when do we get to go back to Jerusalem? We, we realized, dear God, we've been a mess up. We're in exile now because we've been messed up. So, I mean, they're, they're humble. They, they got that. So how long are we going to have to stay out here in this city we don't even care about with all these pagan people? <laughs> Jeremiah, God speaks to Jeremiah to them and says, oh, wait a minute. Here's my assignment for you. You make the city where you live prosper. In other words, your ticket back to Jerusalem is going to be contingent on the way in which you pour into the community where I put you to make it prosper. That is, that's an amazing word, isn't it? Wherever you are, make it prosper. Every church can do that. So that's my dream. That's my long answer, TJ, to your simple question. Every church of God has the potential to do that. And I don't care if you have 10 people left, if you're loving each other and you're loving Jesus and you surrender, there's something that can happen there. I'm a believer in that. Now, how can you help me? Just do what I told you. <laughs> Of course, you know, thank you for even caring about me. And of course, your prayers matter. Prayer matters. And when, if I come to mind, just ask the Lord to encourage me in the service. Sometimes I get discouraged, as I know you do. Everyone does. And I just, I pray sometimes, Lord, don't let me, don't let me be detoured. Don't let me be lost. Help me to stay on point. Pray for that. Pray that I'll know what the next step should be in my role here because I, I've tried some things that worked and some that didn't work. But in the end, pray that I'll never forget, that Jim Lyon will not forget that Jesus is the subject. And you know what? After every, everything else is said and done, if people look at me and say, he's walking with Jesus, or if I'm solving problems or questions because I'm trying to sort out, you know what? I think Jesus would have done this. It's going to be good. I'll be, but uh, we all need to have a covering of prayer to do that because uh, my native self isn't always there. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And that's again, great advice. And I think just to reiterate what you said, right? For if you're listening to this podcast and if you are a pastor or if you're just a leader in your church, if you are an established church, even if you're a church planter, 
right? You are where you are because God needs you there and fulfill what he told us to do in his work, which is to love each other, to love Jesus above all else, right? And to care about the community that he, he put us in. And so again, whoever's listening, right? Be encouraged, right? Know that, that God is on your side, right? That you are where you are because he put you there and just fulfill the truth of the gospel, right? And Jesus will, will reign true, right? And everybody's always drawn to truth. I think, especially as we go into this Easter season, just, um, you know, this literally this Sunday, I'm preaching on Jesus's trial before Pilate. And, you know, that's just the, the theme that keeps coming through, right? As Pilate says, well, what is truth, right? And, and literally truth is standing in front of him, right? And, and cause one of the, I believe the most boldest claim that Jesus ever made, right? Is John 14, six, right? That he is the way, the truth and the life. And so that's our parting words for you today. Thank you for listening with us, Jim. Thank you for being with us hey, thanks, John. As, as our first guest ever. And so uh, again, we, uh, we hope that this uh, podcast again is an encouragement to you uh, and we'll see you in the next episode. Acts 20:28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. The Acts 20:28 podcast is a broadcast production of In His Grip Publishing. Our theme music is Achievement by Giovanni Bruno. We'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts or through email. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Acts 20:28 podcast or send us an email at acts2028podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave us ratings and reviews, and even give us your email so you can be notified of new episodes. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope that you will lead wherever God has put you. And together we can all live out Acts 2028 as we serve in the established church.